Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Um, we're not going to spend the whole time here, but um, it'll be a passage that most of you are familiar with. Acts 1, 6 through 8. Jesus has died, raised from the dead. He's about to leave the earth. It says this. So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus, when are you going to make things right? Because they're not right yet. Right? It's what people in Israel are thinking. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, there's a time when Jesus will decisively set all things straight, and that's his uh, mission to accomplish. But he gives his disciples a mission in the meantime, and he says, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. It's similar to another statement of his to the disciples before he uh, or at the very end of his time on earth when he says, uh, go make disciples of all nations. Well, how do you make disciples of Jesus? But to tell them to be a witness to Jesus, to who he is, to be his witnesses. So as Jesus' disciples, we, um, we can see fairly clearly here Jesus' Jesus's mission, the stated mission for the disciples. So our master, the one with all authority, like Matthew 28 says, commands us something to do, or commands his disciples something to do um, until he returns to set everything straight, and that's to tell of Jesus everywhere, to the ends of the earth. A question I want us to just think about at the beginning here is, what gives authentication to our witness about Jesus? What helps to substantiate the proclamation that we have about Jesus. Um, I understand that all whom the Father gives <coughs> Jesus will come to him, and they come trusting a message of truth, trusting the gospel. Um, but what, what types of things lend credibility to our witness? When we're like, telling people about Jesus and how incredible this gospel is, what can we point to to say, this is why you should trust Christ? Like, I understand that you can either believe what I'm telling you or not, but here's why I think you should believe that this is true. Or is it just a detached message where we're like, well, here's a completely unsubstantiated claim, and you can take it or leave it, and we're out. Like, we just kind of say a message and check out. What do you guys think? What, what can we point to to give some authentication to our witness about Jesus, not saying that's necessarily going to cause somebody to believe, but um, how how will people see God? Each individual's testimony. Okay, how, so how they how Jesus has worked in that person's life and, and what's happened. Great, that means something, especially if the person knows you or knows about you, and yeah, your individual testimony. Um, this is what cuts down my life. So I don't know if you want to believe the message or not. 
I don't even know everything about Jesus, like a couple people in Scripture say, but I know what he's done in my life, and here's, here's what it is. So, yeah, that's great. That, that gives maybe some weight to what you're, what you're telling them. They see a change life. What else? I think when people see you going through a hard time, mm-hmm. and they see that you're okay, and they don't understand, because okay. in the world it makes sense that you should be really freaking out, and this is like the template, like how you should behave, and as a follower of Christ, we kind of have this supernatural peace that we're given, because we don't know, we don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's more personal testimony. Wow, look at look at what Christ has done in your life. Anything else that just kind of adds some weight to the, the just content, the informational content of, um, of the gospel? I mean, you have like things like the historical accuracy, like the okay. amount of original documents. I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, we could Dead we could scrolls, we could make an argument saying here's here's why we feel like the biblical account is accurate, and and there's maybe some ways to kind of go about doing that. And again, you can say this may or may not convince you. You may or may not believe because of this, but this maybe this adds some some weight, some substantiation to what. Yeah, I think culturally there, there's a lot of evidence that, um, especially a culture like the Jewish culture, to have like the day they worship change, to have the way they eat change, um, a lot of like cultural changes that happens as quickly as they did don't really make sense outside of a risen Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's like a, so many areas where you can try and, or you can like point at different evidences from like history to Josephus to cultural changes or any number of different things you want to point at that can be seen as like evidence. Um, but I think ultimately it just comes down to like you have, you're telling someone about something that is meant to change their life. And so convincing them that that thing, that the facts line up is one thing, but then telling them about a personal testimony or really pointing them to the story of Jesus um, and, and pointing at Jesus' life, I think that's more beneficial than just pointing at evidence for mm-hmm. something to be true. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a, the Holy, it says the Holy Spirit, like, even the faith that we have to believe comes from Christ, so like, Christ enables us to believe okay. what yeah. this book says. Yeah. Fred, are you talking about like, um, like what helps carry weight, like when you're like talking to someone about Jesus? Yeah. So like, like in the conversation, <clears throat> I, I was just the first thing that came to my mind was just love. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Like, I think that's like more powerful than anything else. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's. Yeah. That's kind of, I guess, what I was getting at is like the weight of the God of like the good news isn't really found in the evidence of it. That kind of sounds like you're also asking for like what's evidence yeah. of like this. I'm asking for, for both. What, yeah. What, what do you think is good Because the Holy Spirit is what really calls us. And so we kind of just have to, it's not about us and our words <coughs> and our words because God can use anything, anywhere to get the point across to his children and so I just feel like our job is to just continuously put ourselves in a place where we can share the news 
and hopefully like one thing that we say or do can cause the Holy Spirit to kind of light a fire in that person because it's really not about us like we don't bring people to the Lord the Lord decides that it's that person's time to know him yeah there's probably I mean there's a lot of things we could say we could say maybe there's an apologetics of uh, just like you could try to use some human reasoning to say well if this you know if the there's a creation, then there's a creator, or you can do some kind of philosophical kind of uh, arguments and apologetics. And, and probably most people in, the, in their story of coming to know Christ, all of these different, or one or multiple of these different things played a role into bringing them to what the Spirit is doing, of just of, um, giving belief. But yeah, some people have visions um, of Christ that kind of leads them to somebody to proclaim the gospel to them. Um, I want to just propose to y'all tonight that I think one of the greatest um, substantiators um, of our faith, of the Christian faith, one of the greatest testimonies of the Christian faith is the church itself. Not not individual believers, but the church. And you want to show God to somebody, then point to the church. Now, you might have mixed feelings about that, right? Like, um, but I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. So we've looked at, um, but all I agree, I, I think I agree with basically everything that everybody is saying. There's, there's different things that it's like, Beyond just the, the the word of the cross that is power for those who believe, like beyond that, there's there are things that kind of just kind of contribute into the equation that I'm not sure how God uses at all, but um, gives some credence to uh, the message that we proclaim. And I'd say the church is one of a big one or ought to be. We've looked in the and at three biblical metaphors for the church the last few weeks. Maybe you're tired of it. These are God-given pictures of what the church is supposed to be or supposed to look like. It should look like the, a body, the body of Christ. It should look like a family, the family of God. It should look like a temple housing the Holy Spirit. Hopefully I've done an adequate job of showing from the Bible how these aren't synonyms for church, but they each kind of contribute a unique facet to what to the nature of the church or what the church is supposed to be about. So a lot of times we use them as synonyms, but they actually have hold significant meaning, that we're the family of God. Well, that, that has some weight beyond we're the church. Um, I purposely have held off until tonight, um, kind of the last week of the series on Saints Together, to share what the church is not, um, because I don't think it's wise to primarily be defined by what we are not. Um, but I do think that, um, well, that's, so that's why we spent seven weeks to begin with to say, here's some, some clear picture that scripture gives to what the church is supposed to be. Uh, but I think because of man-made traditions, good or bad, um, and how those can get kind of ingrained into the fabric of people's assumptions about God's church or even what the Bible says about the church, I think it's appropriate to deconstruct that a little bit and some of the 
um, ways that maybe we're, we think we're thinking biblically about the church, but, um, but it's not something that comes up in Scripture. So I'm going to go through briefly five metaphors the Bible doesn't use for the church, okay? Um, before I do that, I just want to say we are, um, and I mean this, uh, I, I hope if we've had conversations before and maybe you've seen it demonstrated uh, in my life, I hope you find this to be true. We are not at odds with other local churches that go about ministry in different ways. Um, some of what I'm going to describe is going to make some of you think about a particular church that you've experienced in the past and maybe kind of roll your eyes at how they missed it in this area or that area. Um, but all local churches have some different discipleship strategies, and some of those strategies lead them to practice some of the things that I'm going to mention. Some of the things that I'm going to mention, we practice, and there's, it's not that there's no reason to do those things. And some of the things that you hear that people are doing and that we even do, they're, they're not necessarily wrong to do. Now, we do certain things as a church because we think it's best. Otherwise, we would do it another way that we thought was best. If we didn't think our way was best, we, we wouldn't say, well, let's do this because it's second best. We do it because we think it's best. But, um, but there are there are other ways to go about carrying out the mission of the church that look different than ours. I, I hope that doesn't even need to be said, but I just want to be humble enough to recognize that we haven't got it figured out. I haven't got it figured out. Um, and I just draw your attention quickly to Luke 9, 49 and 50, where John says, Master, he said, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Or he's, he's doing your work, Jesus, in a different way. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. That's mm -hmm. different than Jesus' statement, if he who is um, not for you is against you. Jesus says if he's not against you, he is for you. And I'm sure, I assure you that there are churches around us who practice some of the things that we're going to talk about that are not necessarily against us or against what God wants to do. And that we're on the same team, and we're just doing things differently, as faithful as we, as faithfully as we can to make disciples. And I trust that they're doing the same. So, hear me on this: if I ever speak in a demeaning way of another gospel-believing church, will you rebuke me for my arrogance? Because I don't, I don't want to be that guy, and I, I don't think that we should be a church like that. Um, again, we, we do things a certain way, and, and, and I've kind of set up you know, a, a certain way that we kind of go about um, church. The best way that I know how, but our attitude should never be one of looking down at other churches who also care about proclaiming Jesus and making uh, disciples to the ends of the earth. So... Um, and, just last thing to say on that end, we do things that I'm sure are not the most appropriate, best thing to do according to Scripture. Like, somebody else could easily point in at our ministry here and say, you guys, you're, you're missing it, you're not carrying out what Scripture clearly calls us to in this or that. Um, we certainly don't have everything figured out, and I pray that God would help us to be open to change 
um, if we are convinced based on God's design as revealed in Scripture that we should change something. So, um, and, and actually, I get together with other local pastors to try to learn from them about what their ministry looks like, to offer some suggestion of, of maybe what I have understood from Scripture about the nature of the church and how that affects our practices. Um, but bottom line, we aren't at odds with other churches who practice things a little differently. On the other hand, I, I will say that um, a few days ago, kind of considering this content tonight, I was I was in tears, not like sobbing, but but choked up a bit about I don't know why I wanted to explain to you the difference, but I didn't me like I'm really glad you made this. Yeah, I'm not. I was bad emotional. Don't worry. <laughs> but I, I think I was I was saddened by um, I was saddened that some local churches have accepted some some non-biblical ideas for church not just as a discipleship strategy but as inherent to their nature as a church and it has led I think at times to a, a tarnished gospel message, and sometimes even a, a different gospel altogether, a different <clears throat> message that, that is being pro proclaimed. So I just want to be clear, uh, some, some of these things I'm about to mention aren't wrong to practice, but I think we do have to be really careful what our practice preaches, even if it's inadvertent, like even if we're not meaning to preach a different gospel, sometimes our practices might be. Um, might tell people differently. So I just think we have to be really careful. So, what the church is not. Here are some metaphors the Bible does not use for the church. First of all, number one, the church is not a business. Church is not a business. You can't turn to 1 Corinthians and find Paul saying, here's how I want you to run your company, the church. Um, there's reasons that the church may come off as a business or things that make it seem like a business or ways that we practice it to be kind of like a business. Um, churches, a lot of churches have marketing plans. You canvas the neighborhood with flyers um, and you, you know, tell people about your church service and you try to get good search engine optimization. I've done that for Nova Church early on. Um, there's like a whole market of, like I get the emails, because I get emails to the church address, a whole industry of, of marketing the church and coming up with branding for a church and you know you need to make sure you have a cool title and a cool logo and a catchy website and um, there's like a business, there's competition with other churches and so we have Yelp reviews and we say well this church is better than this church because they rank a little bit higher and um, I've been in big churches, and most often we have strategic plans and board meetings and budgets and staff and vacation time and office hours and denominational headquarters and satellite campuses or franchises and all, all of these different things that just kind of, it, it, it can communicate, wow, this, this seems, this is being run kind of as a business. And um, I could probably go on down that list too, but it's easy to see how going down that path could, say could, could, lead to confusion that we are 
as a church just trying to sell a product that is better than the other guy's product, right? The other church's product. Um, and that's not how, that's not close to how the Bible describes the church. Um, I'm not saying that the that churches, especially bigger churches, shouldn't adopt best business practices and, and run things well according to business practices, especially large organizations. Um, but the Bible doesn't really call us to be a well-run business. It calls us to obedience, which doesn't mean offering a better product. It means offering a true product in partnership with other businesses that are doing the same thing or other churches. Um, so just, I think the danger of this idea that I would say a lot of non-Christians especially would say, oh, churches are kind of just like a business. Um, they, try to, they try to stay in business. It supports the people working there and it makes the people happy that are paying for their product. Um, it can quickly devolve, if that's the right word, into um, you pay a tithe, you get a service, you don't like the service, you go to another place and buy their product with your tithe money. Or I like coffee at this church, they have a better product and I am in this church. I think I'll I'll go to the one with better coffee. I get flyers on our fence over here for Pizza Man pizza. Um, like coupons and stuff. For dog walkers, and you see the little notes all over the telephone poles. Um, housekeepers, and um, sometimes get mailers for churches. Um, what might that communicate if we're not careful, but that, oh, just the church, just like all of those other businesses, are just kind of trying to make money or trying to grow their business. Um, one time I was attending a church, or not attending a church board meeting, kind of sitting in on the board meeting, that literally had, I would say, lowered itself to a discussion about how can we get enough people into the seats so that we can meet budget so that we don't have to lay off any of the staff. Like that was their, their strategic planning revolved around that. Like that's, that's understandable if you're a business. That's certainly not what God calls the church to be about. So we, um, as NoHo Church, we have a title, NoHo Church, um, not to sound better than the next church, or maybe it would have been something cooler, but um, we thought, well, maybe it's helpful as we talk among Christians, especially in the area, so people can know, oh, this is the Christian community that I'm in, that's my kind of immediate Christian family. It's helpful to have language for that. Um, we have a simple logo and a website that, honestly, I don't know that I would have pursued or, uh, if um, I, I, I pursued four years ago when we began, and I don't know how uh, important that is, but certainly I think for informational reasons, not for marketing so much, it's like, hey, we, if people want to know about our church, they can find out some stuff online. Um, but growing a business, I talked about this a year ago in January, growing a business Growing a church in, in numbers and, and budget size is not really our goal. My goal is not to get people in the door and to get attendance and get tithing up. My goal is not to keep a job um, or keep the doors open. That's A lot of church plants feel like we've been unsuccessful because we couldn't keep the doors open. 
that's a that's a business mindset potentially. Um, there's a lot of people that call or text our church number that I try to redirect to go to another church that would make more sense for them, most likely because it would be closer to them. So there's somebody that wants to come from Santa Monica. I'm like, I don't, you know, you're welcome to join us, but I don't think it makes sense. If now, if I just, if we wanted the numbers and we wanted to grow a business, then maybe I'd say, sure, let me tell you all the reasons why you should come all the way from Santa Monica up here. Um, but I would hope that there are churches a little closer by that they could be in, in closer relationship and live out the metaphors of the church that we've talked about. Um, I, frankly, am just happy that somebody is growing in their knowledge of Christ at another local church. That doesn't have to be our own. So God promised to build his church, which 10 years from now may or may not include this local church. I hope it does, but it may not. And if it doesn't, his work is not stopped. And I'm happy with that. Um, so church isn't, isn't a business in that way. Secondly, the church is not entertainment. Um, I know you're being entertained tonight really well, but <laughs> don't let that deceive you. Um, Y'all, I'm sure that, I, I think all of you, um, or most of you, have been to an entertaining church event. Something that was entertaining. It's not necessarily bad, but something that's like, wow, this, is, this really feeds my, my desire to be um, moved in an entertainment kind of sense. Um, you watch something, usually you watch something happen on stage. Stage, right? Um, the critique of a, of a church service, sometimes you base, base it on the quality of the music like you would a concert or the quality of the speaker like you would a TED Talk. And it's like, oh, this is, well, how, how kind of did it rile me up? Did it, did it entertain me? Um, even that word stage, I think, communicates something. That I've always, I mean, I've, I'm at churches that have platforms that we refer to as stage. Um, I've been there. We talked about the Greek word the first week that's translated ekles, or translated church in our English versions. Um, it's not theatron or theater. If it were, then maybe that would tell us something about the way that we um, ought to organize church. Um, but it's very different than that. I read a, a blog of some pastor, John Brunt. He said, in one church where I preached recently, my instructions called for me to meet in the green room at a given time for, quote, makeup and a review of the, quote, unquote, script by the production manager. Like, that's what he was given. He was going to be a guest speaker, and these were all the things that he was given as note. There is nothing wrong with Christian entertainment. Just don't confuse that with the, with the purpose of the church, okay? Um, there's a danger in making something shiny that isn't the gospel and people think that it's the gospel. Because whatever it takes, I don't remember who said this first, but something like whatever it takes to get them in the door, it's going to take to keep them there. And as soon as you remove that big thing, then they're watch the people scatter because they don't have what they came there for in the first place. Um, it is easier to be at church and put on, well, I think it's easier, maybe for some it's not, but easier to put on an event that, um, that gets people in the doors because it offers something by way of entertainment value. Um, I have a, a local pastor friend here in North Hollywood that, that was telling me about um, an event that they did in Noho Park 
that they, uh, it was Easter or some, some big kind of holiday event where they invited a bunch of people, they put in flyers all over the place, and they had 500 people, their church of 80, they had 500 people show up to this event at the park. Um, they had the bounce houses and the free movie and popcorn and some food and different things. Um, you know how many people from that returned, and how many new people came to their church service the next week from that? Four. One. One of the f of 500 people. <laughs> Why is that? Because the people weren't there for the gospel, they were there for the free tacos and bounce house. And, and he was telling, he was seeing the, the, the problem in that, okay, I'm not s spilling something that he, he wouldn't tell you himself. Um, another just kind of example of this is when I was a worship pastor, I would have, you know, we have different people on the worship teams and several different drummers and different bass players and different things. And some, several times I get a call from another local worship pastor, desperate, saying, do you have any drummers that we can use? Do you have any electric guitar players that we can use? What are we going to do was kind of the attitude if we don't have this, this role? Like, what's going to happen? People are going to be so upset that the worship music isn't going to be the big thing that they were um, expecting. So all that to say, the, the church is, is, is not, the purpose of the church is not entertainment. Um, so you'll have noticed that our regular gatherings are not really about entertaining people. Um, I'm happy when people come to our church and then they come back again. And I think that's not because they've been well entertained, I don't think, but because hopefully they've experienced something true and something that they, that they long for, something that they desire that's much deeper than entertainment experience. All that to say, we might do some cool events and um, and hopefully do things with excellence in a way that um, that comes across well. But I think if we do that, it will be for the purpose of stewarding the, the gifts that God's given to our church for the glory of God. It's not going to be for the purpose of hooking or entertaining somebody into the kingdom. Um, it's going to be an expression um, just of, of the creativity and goodness and excellence of God, um, but not to hook people per se. The church is not entertainment. Thirdly, the church is not a social club. Mm. <laughs> it's not a social club. I, I struggle with, I understand, but I struggle with um, target market churches. I especially struggle with churches whose target market is young, cool, trendy, hipster people. Um, again, I, I see why um, there is, sometimes there's thought and, and even wisdom behind that. But I wonder, like, what when we do that, what are we selling people? like? A lot of times, like as a young adults pastor for a while, I would try to do, I would try to have cool events um, because what I wanted to communicate to people was, hey, you can be cool and trendy and still be a follower of Jesus. Like you don't have to be a dork. You don't have to be one of those weirdos that you think about, oh, they're a church, you're a Christian person, but you can actually be cool. And I think, is that something that Jesus would teach? Like, hey, just so you know, guys, you can follow me, and you, you don't have to give up what's most important to you, your reputation. You can follow me and still be cool. I don't, like, that's not, 
that's not a, a goal of of Christ. And so, um, I, I've been, y'all, again, I, I, I'm guilty of this. Back in the day, like, I could put on a cool church event. I used to be cool, believe it or not. Like, I was cool. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I understand, here's, here's where some, what I'll often hear, I have, I have a heart for this type of person. So my heart is for this type of person, and it doesn't have to be a cool person, it might be a different kind of demographic or whatever that you're, that you're targeting, but my heart is for that type of person, that's cool. But, but the church, the church isn't for a particular type of person. And the more homogenous your membership is, the more I think somebody can be led to believe that you're not there for the gospel, but you're there for some social interest that you share, some other interest. Um, there's nothing wrong with social clubs. When you hang out with people that like ping pong or J.K. Rowling books, Rowling, Rowling, how do you say wow. Rowling? Um, nothing wrong with those. It's just, it, that's not the, the church, and the church is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, rich nor poor, whatever else you want, black nor white, Republican or Democrat, um, young or old. There's no partiality in the church because together we're a new family in Christ as we've talked about. So all that to say we as a church, like our, our local church, um, our, our hope will be to gather solely around the gospel come whoever may into that. When Mary Beth and I first moved to North Hollywood and with also um, the Moonies and some others, uh, we kind of had a target market at that point. We were like, oh, we're moving to North Hollywood, so we're gonna reach the young, starving artist person. The young, starving artist is a lot of people that live around here, but there's plenty of other people that are not young, starving artists and have other non-artistic careers or are not starving or whatever it is. There's plenty of other people <laughs> And so what we've determined along the way is going to be best is that whomever we work with, whomever we live nearby, whoever we have social interaction with, whoever we bump into at the grocery store, anyone who wants to hear and or respond to the gospel in faith, we're going to welcome into this family. And it's not going to be the ones that we choose who we want to bless with this message because we have a heart for them. It's going to be whoever would like to come uh, learn of Jesus and learn what it looks like to follow him. So it's not a social club and it's, it, it's get, it gets dangerous when you go down that kind of special interest path. Um, I think that makes sense. Fourthly, the church is not government. The Bible's directions for the church aren't focused on how to promote the general welfare. But instead, the Bible's directions for the church is how to be set apart. So I believe we are to stand out from the world as a city on a hill, as a light, not make the world try to look like us. Jesus calls us to make disciples, actually like baptizing and teaching, not make the world around us try to act like disciples. The church, I'd say, is aiming for in, in Christ and the strength of the Spirit, we're aiming for the holiness of the church, not the holiness of the world. I can't find a place in Scripture, I've said it before, but that gives the church the task of making the world a better place. 
I know that's easy to uh, imply or kind of think, well, that makes sense because God's, God's ultimate plan for this world is new creation where he will make that happen. But I am flooded with clear instruction in scripture with how to make the church a better place or how we seek righteousness and obedience and holiness to the Lord. Um, another way to just, just kind of say this is sanctification can truly happen in spirit-filled believers. Um, I looked up a quick definition on government that was all over the internet, some unknown doctor, but it just came up a lot. One professor or doctor's definition of government is government is responsible primarily for making public policy for an entire society. I don't believe that that's the church, making public policy for an entire society. We are never called to demand or to enforce God's good rules in secular society, but rather to enforce them really in God's Christian society in the church. God recognizes the role of government in this way. In 1 Peter, you've heard it before. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, think maybe king or uh, president, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Maybe you think law enforcement. Um, when the Bible speaks of the powers that be, in society, namely government, it speaks simply of us submitting to and honoring that which God has instituted. And, and God is using, somehow he's using government to, to, I think in a general sense, kind of hold back evil probably so the world doesn't implode on itself before um, giving a chance for repentance to his children. But he doesn't charge us God doesn't charge us to be political activists as if we should put any hope in the secular governance of our country. Um, I, I searched, and show me, show me a verse in the New Testament that remotely promotes activism, and I will, I will run with it, and I will say, let's, let's grab onto that and see if we can move with that, but I just can't find it. And in fact, I find almost the opposite of that, um, except when it comes to the kingdom life that God requires in his church. That's clearly laid out to us in scripture. So, so there's a work that God will do that he's going to accomplish that we long for, that creation longs for, that Romans 8 talks about, where God will rule over the entire earth and, and, and we will all there will be peace and shalom. But right now, his rule is evident in his people, the church, and that's where he's displaying a taste of the heavenly kingdom. So we submit to and honor the government to the best of our ability, free, I believe, to take part in that institution, but our focus as the church is the kingdom life within the church where God's spirit dwells. So um, all that to say, we, we don't, um, as a rule, promote um, political rallies or agendas or sides. Um, some of us might be involved in those things. And 
and I think that's great. That's a benefit of being a citizen here, and you can speak your mind, and if you think that there's one solution helps this one problem better than this other solution, and somebody else thinks the other one's better, that's fine. You can take part in those um, types of things at an individual. And, and, and we will, at times as a church, hopefully talk about social matters that the Bible does talk about, like there's real issues that we need to know how to think through, how does God think about these things, um, but we will be aimed just at, at proclaiming that truth humbly to the world and then demonstrating how that truth looks in the life of the church, where the spirit actually dwells, but not demanding that it happen outside of the church where the spirit is not indwelling those people. So does that kind of make sense? Mm -hmm. Like we will, we'll, within the church, we better fight for justice here. We better fight against racism in the church. We better fight for meeting everybody's needs within our church and all that so we can say, look, God, like God's kingdom is desirable. His way is better, and we have something to look to. What about all of the needs and injustices and everything that go on outside of the church? As God moves us with compassion, like Jesus had, we should act on those things, and we should alleviate to the best of our ability those sufferings. Um, many of us here, in different ways, I hear about have contributed towards um, towards societal struggles. We've contributed towards foster care stuff, towards racial reconciliation, towards sex trafficking um, uh, awareness or alleviation. But our focus, our focus isn't, as the U.S. Constitution says, to form a more perfect union across the board. We're gonna be fighting, I think, a feudal battle to make that happen in the world. And I think it's interesting, I think God shows us throughout history, a nation rises and a nation falls, a nation rises and it falls, and then another nation rises and another nation falls, and there's pattern throughout history. That communicates something. Those nations aren't gonna be perfected in that pattern. But you know what doesn't fall? The church. And the church continues on and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. By the way, just on, on this fourth point that the church isn't um, government or political agency, um, I love my brothers and sisters and leaders at other churches who are, who take more of a vocal role in social issues. I think you can do that in a way that beautifully and rightly communicates the heart of God, of compassion for people. Um, and I may be wrong, not leading our church in a more kind of active role. Um, but, but this is my best understanding of the look in the New Testament, and I pray, man, that we'll head that direction if me or future elders or leaders of our church are convinced that biblically this should become more of a priority for us, that we should be more vocal in changing um, society. Um, but the church certainly isn't equivalent with um, the job or the role of the, the government. Fifthly, and lastly, I won't spend much time on this, the church is not a Christian, or a Christian is not the church, singular mm -hmm. Christian. Um, these statements don't make sense. I'm good with God, I read my Bible and pray, I'm being the church. No, you're not. I don't need the local church, I'm part of the universal church. All that those statements mean is that you're ignorant of the Bible's definition of church. That's just not how the Bible teaches 
church. Um, you can refer to the last seven weeks that we've talked about such things. Um, if you're not a member of a local church, you're either not a member of the universal church or you're living in disobedience and you need to be a part of a local church. Uh, the very definition of that word church, it means assembly. And you can't, you, you can make no sense of the biblical analogies of the church or metaphors of the church, body, family, and temple. This is not a body. This is not a family, and this is not a temple. Okay, so if there's like, if you take one, if you take one thing from these last eight weeks, um, I, I hope that it will be this: when you're considering taking your church hiatus, which it seems like more and more people just decide, you know, I'm just taking some time off from church. I'm just, you know, I've been burned. I'm, I'm just gonna. I don't need that. I can kind of do my own thing for a while. I hope that you will picture these freakish objects in your mind um, and, and, and think to yourself, that doesn't make sense for how God has called me to live. That's, that's clearly not um, the life that is, is described in the scripture. And apart from the local church, you're going to be living in, in disobedience. So at least take that away with you. Um, and, oh, I, I do church on the golf course with my buddies, or I... I get together every other week with my girlfriends for lunch and we kind of talk about some spiritual things. Like, you're going to try to cram that into body and family and temple. That's, it's pathetic. It doesn't work. Not only are the biblical metaphors for the church um, these things, and there's a few others that we've kind of mentioned, um, but, but what scripture teaches about the church and these metaphors actually work against some of those five that I just described, specifically the one that I just mentioned. But the body, the body of Christ picture conflicts with pictures of business or entertainment where those promote kind of a spectator or a, a, a consumer. I consume a product or I watch an event happen and 95% of the church just kind of sits back and watch, right? And they, maybe they pay a little bit of money so something cool can happen to them. And 5% of the church is staff and they actually do the work and stuff. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like what the Bible describes as body. Those don't work together. The picture of the family, I think, conflicts with the social club idea. We don't choose our family. They're our family whether we like it or not. And we don't just leave because, oh, we've lost interest or we're not the same as these people. No, it's just, it's, it's the family of God. That's what God has already determined. The picture of the temple, I think, stands against the uh, this picture of government. Like, how are we supposed to be the temple of God that's set apart from the world as the Lord's if we're busy trying to build other temples around people who don't house the Spirit of God? So I think they, they conflict with some of these other fake metaphors that we've come up with or that we kind of live into sometimes as the church. So, to get back to where I started, we, um, ironically, I think we have, we try, or, or local churches try to live into some of those other metaphors in order to give some credibility to their witness or try to kind of bolster or strengthen the truth that they're proclaiming, try to authenticate the gospel somehow. And I think we, we actually think, well, if we have better business practices, if we entertain more, if we 
are socially more pleasing as a church, or if we have a, a stronger political voice, the better our witness for Jesus will be. I would say I disagree with those things. I don't think that those are the most effective ways to bolster our, um, our witness. Like, look how well-run this business is. This gives us credibility. We've got a great website, this child check-in system that has lists of the foods that people are allergic to and the movie preferences, and the adults have the signs and the, the arrows telling them everywhere that they need to go for this or that. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's not that we shouldn't have those things. It's just that Ikea has those things, right? So it's not impressive or it's not something significant or not something that strengthens the witness of the church. Um, that, that's not the most effective way to show some credibility in the gospel message. Well, we're Christians, and we should have, if we're Christians, we should have the best entertainment in the world, and we should be able to put on the best type of stuff for people to be impressed with when they see our production quality of our services. And I think in Los Angeles, like, if you're going to put on a good product that is impressive to people compared to Hollywood millions and millions and millions of dollars of budget... Like, is your service really going to be impressive? If it's impressive, what are people actually being drawn to? How much is it going to cost to make it impressive? What happens if you don't have the talent that you need or the money that you need in order to make it happen? Because the kind of quality that you're looking for, you're going to have to pay some professional musicians who are also playing on American Idol. So, that, again, that's not very, that's not a, that doesn't speak very much. That just speaks like, okay, you kind of do some things like another business or another entertainment company. And we... We think, oh, maybe they'll, they'll see God in this. Maybe that'll be good for our message. Um, I don't think this is the best message. Hey, you're going to love hanging out with us because we're not a bunch of weirdos. Like, you think that the church has to be a bunch of weirdos. Like, we're actually cool. We are actually cool people. Like, don't you want the gospel so you can kind of be cool along with us? Until the weirdos come, and they're coming to your church. Always. They're always going to come. They're always going to be there. And um, if you want to hang out with, with cool people, then take a trip to Aroma Coffee and, and hang out with cool people for a while. Um, but at some point, the people that have come to your church because it's a cool environment, they're going to find out, oh, shoot, Jesus kind of cares about hanging out with people or care about hanging out with people that are the, on the outskirts of society and the social outcasts and everything else. So I hate to tell you that, but actually, we, we really are going to have some weirdos kind of come into our midst. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be the best witness if we can just put on a, a good social thing. Um, or check out all the, the rallies that we've, that we've marched in and all the social change that we've stood for and all these people that we've voted for or against and check out our church blogs that are bashing this side <coughs> or that side. And then it's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, we're locking arms with half of the polarized people in the country that think the same as us on this issue who don't know Christ at all, who reject Christ. And so it's not that it's a bad thing to stand up for that issue, but it's not necessarily um, as meaningful or giving as much credibility to the message as we might think. So uh, these things that we do, that we kind of contend to live into, that I see a local church living into, at least the Western church that I know about, I think, are people really going to see God? Are they really going to see the witness of the church? Are they going to see God in those priorities? I'm not saying these aren't fine things to be involved with, and maybe these things will be a stepping stone to somebody hearing the, the gospel and responding to the truth of the gospel, but I'm just saying, here, here's what I'm saying. 
you're, you're missing what God has handed to us as our greatest or, or one of our greatest witnesses, the biblical church, to show people God, the body of Christ, everyone willing to, to, to serve in different but equal roles, the family of God, not based on social status, not based on qualifications, but based on God's loving adoption of us. The temple of the Holy Spirit. We're set apart as holy. We're a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Like that stuff speaks something different, something other than a well-run business or a well-run entertainment company or these other things. So the question that I had at the beginning, what can we point to to give authentication to our witness about Jesus? Or how will people see God? Hint, the body of Christ the family of, of God, the Father, the temple of the Spirit, that people will see God in the church that's built into those metaphors themselves. So I don't want to hear, well, if you want to, if you want to see God, if you want to know God, well, don't look at the church. Why does God call us those things? If there's, like, there should be no, no better place to look to see to see Christ's body, to see the Father of this family, to see the Spirit that we are a temple of. So our greatest witness, or you guys understand that there's the the content of the gospel itself um, is something that we um, that we communicate, and it's 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 that. It's a belief in that gospel. It's, it's that content. It's that understanding that, that converts the heart. Yet there is, there is still a, a witness of God's people. Otherwise, God could have, instead of telling the disciples, you'll be my witnesses, he could just say, hey, let's, um, when we get, come to the printing press, then let's just make flyers and make sure they're like airplane distributed among everybody in the world so that they know that Jesus died and was resurrected. Like there'd be other ways to go about getting that information out there. But there's a witness of God's people that I think is meant to give credence and bolster and, and validate and prove, if you will, or be an apologetic for the message that we preach. Even greater, I think, than personal testimony, even greater than apologetics or well-formed argument in that way, is the church itself. Living into these biblical metaphors as God describes it. That's where people see God, in the body of Christ, the family of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, because he's with us. That's what he says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, go make disciples, and I am with you to the end of the age. You People will see God in, in the the entity that he is with, which is his people, which is the church. Same thing in Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When I'm, when I'm with you, okay, people are going to see you because I'm going to be with, or people are going to see me because I'm going to be with you. A couple other places that, that kind of show the church as this standing out witness to who God is, to the truth of the gospel. Matthew 5, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's where people are going to see him. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's where people are going to see something different. That's where people are going to see God. Ephesians 3.10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to even the rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. Like even beyond this earth, people are going to see the manifold wisdom of God 
uh, through the church and through the operation of the church, his body, his temple, his family. God has created this institution that we're part of here, that we're a small part of, the church, saints together to put, to display himself, to display his glory, to be witnesses of who he is and what he's done. God has always done that in certain ways through history. God was put on display. He was known in the garden when he walked with Adam and Eve. God was put on display. His glory was put on display. Was his, the hub of that in Old Testament Israel was the tabernacle. It was the temple. God was put on display. He was shown as God's son, Jesus himself, in the first century Israel. After that, God is now being put on display in a people called the church. And we would do well to carry out the commission that has been given to us by Jesus, to tell of him everywhere, to focus in on living out what he has called us, the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, his temple, saints together to be. Let me pray, and then you can ask a question. Father, thank you. Um, well, I, I ask God that you would help um, help us to think rightly about your church, help us to think rightly about our wisdom, help us to think rightly about your glory, your presence, uh, all these things. I pray that we would work in partnership with your church um, worldwide and even specifically local churches around here. God, you have kind of built into this church, into NoHo Church, um, the ability at this point to not be particularly prideful because we're not accomplishing the um, success of a successful business or uh, entertainment company or social club or any of those. Um, so thank you, Lord, for the, the humility, at least that that causes in me, that we're um, the same size as we were two years ago. Um, Lord, help us to humbly seek you for what we are to be about and how we are to accomplish your mission. And um, help us not to lose sight and to take hold of other uh, metaphors like I spoke about the, or other ways of looking at the church that might seem more successful. Uh, but help us to stay the course and uh, follow what, what your word lays out for the type of people that you want us to be and how you want us to engage with each other and how you want us to stand out as a holy people in this world. And uh, yeah, God, we just need your help in that. Um, I pray that anything that I said uh, tonight um, would be, was from a place of humility, and God forgive me for the areas of pride that I think um, are way, my way is the only way. Um, God, we want to accomplish what you have given us to accomplish. We want to be clear on what that is, and we desperately need your help to do that, and any success that we see, any kingdom success that we see, um, we'll give the glory to you because we're doing it the way that you designed it. And we love you, God. I pray that you would bless this church, bless your church, and amen. Thank you.